All right, sound is speeding. We are recording. Cool. All right, let's begin. Either they don't know, don't show, I don't care about what's going on in the hood. Gucci, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome to yet another episode of Adventures in Black Cinema, your passport to black film. My name is Desmond Thorne, and I will be your host and your film aficionado per use on the show. I am going to start the episode off with a quote from the autobiography of Malcolm X, I know that I've been talking about this book for like the past few weeks, but it's long. It's a long book. It takes a while to read. And I also like low key don't want to finish it in a weird way just because like I know how it ends in kind of a general sense. And you know, it often does make me sad to think of these great figures in our history and where we would be now and where they would be now if they hadn't been taken from us prematurely. So it is kind of sad being close to the end of the book at this point. But I want to read this brief quote that he says about politics, uh, because it's very, very perfect for our episode today. He says, U.S. politics is ruled by special interest blocks and lobbies. What group has a more urgent special interest? What group needs a block, a lobby more than the black man? Yeah, and that's honestly some real, real shit. It's kind of like, why aren't we higher on the list of shit to get to? You know what I'm saying? Like... Jesus Christ, we've been through so much and we will get into that and much more in this episode, which is called Adventures in Politicians and the Press. And we will be getting into the nitty gritty of the film Head of State. But first, some gay shit. Now you want to talk about beating? Let's talk about beating. Okay, so um, Jonathan Majors. I'm sure you have heard of him at this point. The first time that I ever saw him in anything was a film that I don't like very much called The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, I don't want to do an episode in that movie one day, but I don't know. It may happen. Um... But now his profile has certainly grown. Um, 
He was actually pretty good in The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Um, But recently, he's been in Defy Bloods, which is the latest Spike Lee film on Netflix. And he is in a show on HBO called Lovecraft Country, which I talked about a couple episodes ago. Um, The point of the story being, as is the point of many Some Gay Shit segments, is that he's hot. He is hot as shit. Um, I am not sure how much the women are feeling him because I haven't really talked to any sisters about Mr. Majors yet. But let me tell you, the gays are living for him. I mean, like, this dude's body is unreal. Uh, To say it succinctly as possible. Um, absolute goals, like, I certainly have missed the gym a lot during quarantine. Not as much as some of y'all. Some of y'all are kind of losing your fucking minds, and it's like, relax. Um, I've definitely missed it a lot, but seeing him really makes me miss it, because I'm like, god damn. Like, that is a goal of mine. I want to look as good in high-waisted pants from the 50s, as he does on Lovecraft Country, his pants are like, look like they're almost like a foot above his belly button, and he still looks fucking hot. It is infuriating at the same time as just being so sexy. Uh, Can't be mad at him, you know? Uh, There's a video of him doing his skincare routine that has been floating around Twitter. You should do a little... And this is a toner in the midst. And it's cool. It's nice. It's wonderful to see him, of course, you know, without a shirt on, doing his skincare. And uh, one thing he does, though, is that he rubs his serums into his face. And I'm like, no, Jonathan, BB, you must pat the serums in. You must dab them in. Pro tip for everyone who doesn't know and wants to get into skincare, you do not rub serums onto your skin. It's not gonna do anything. It's just gonna rub it around on top of skin, on top of skin cells. You have to press it in so that it is absorbed into your skin, hunties. So Jonathan, if you're looking for someone to give you skincare tips and to date, <laughs> I am totes avails. Um, several people have texted me about him and I will say several people, gay and straight, have texted me about this man. My gay friend texted me about the skincare video, which I promptly watched, and a straight friend of mine, after watching The Five Bloods, texted me to say that he could see his dick print and... That just shows you how far the reach is, honestly. Like, a straight man is texting me about this dude's dick. What? In a Spike Lee film? Huh. You've made it, sir. Mr. Majors, you have made it. Uh, Also, gotta give him props. He's a good-ass fucking actor. Like, beyond being hot, he does seem like he has a, a good soul about him in terms of the way that he approaches the roles that he plays. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where his career continues to go. He's really, he's a good one. He's a good one. (laughs) And he's got a really nice butt, too. (laughs) And, uh, that is where we conclude this segment on Mr. Majors. You are here for one reason, one reason only, to learn, to learn. 
Alright y'all, let's get into the nitty gritty of Head of State. I'm very excited about this one. Um, this is definitely an underrated comedy that I'm so looking forward to digging into. So this film is the directorial debut of Chris Rock. It was released in 2003. And a little summary if you're unfamiliar with the film. Uh, Chris Rock plays a man named Mays Gilliam, who is an alderman in Washington, D.C. He's super popular in the community, and he does really great things. Like, one of the first things you see him do is save this woman from a building that's about to be demolished. You gotta get out of here. We're gonna blow this place up. This girl, I love you. I've known you a long time. You've seen a lot of things in your life. You've seen churches burned to the ground. You've seen dogs sicked on children. You've seen Malcolm X killed. You've seen JFK killed. They shut up Muhammad Ali. They shut up Richard Pryor. They gave Magic Johnson names. They turned Michael Jackson white. Now, do you really think these people give a damn about you? Um, it's a silly scene. And so, in his world, the president and vice president die in a plane crash as their planes crash into each other. So the Democratic team, which is played by the trio of Lynn Whitfield, Dylan Baker, and James Rebhorn, rest in peace, uh, former South Orange, New Jersey resident, Mr. James Rebhorn. Um, So the three of them put their heads together to figure out who should run for president in the 2004 election. They decide to pick someone who they think won't win in order to set themselves up for the 2008 election. They choose Mays after seeing him on TV. And while he seems like a bit of a loose cannon at first, he actually ends up proving them wrong and winning the love of the people of the populace of the United States. This film also stars Bernie Mac in a super funny and fun performance. Oh, I miss Bernie Mac so much. Uh, Robin Givens is in this, and she is so funny. She has this great recurring bit. Um, well, I mean, she just yells the whole time. She plays Maze's ex-girlfriend. Um, so in the beginning, you see her kind of screaming at him and telling him off and kicking him out. And then when he gets picked to run for president, she finds him at pretty much every single event and has all these moments where she's like wanting to get back together and like plan their wedding and kind of all these bizarre things that she wants to get back with him. He calls security and security comes and like takes her out no matter where they are. Or back. DJ Band, DJ Band, DJ Band. It's a great running joke. Um, and she is on 100 the entire time. Uh, we have Tamala Jones as the love interest for Maze. Uh, Keith David is in one scene and he's just so great. We just love Keith David. Everyone loves Keith David. He is a rightful legend. Uh, we also have Tracy Morgan in here. Uh, so great. I love Tracy Morgan. Um, I would love to dig into a movie in which he is the star of. I just think he's such a cool dude. Uh, so funny all the time. We have Nate Dogg in this movie, uh, throwing some raps in, kind of like narrative raps. A simple man.
So he'll kind of like fill in some of the narrative gaps for you by rapping with these two, <laughs> these two like basic looking white women, like barely dancing, like doing a two step next to him while he raps. Uh, it's, it's so funny. Uh, he's kind of like a, a one man Greek chorus in a way. It's a great device and it's so funny. And also rest in peace to Nate Dog. There's a, a lot of dead people in this movie, uh, including Reg E. Kathy, who has passed on, and Clark Peters. They're both in this movie, so... When you walk through your garden, watch your That's right. That is right. We got two niggas from The Wire in this film. It has happened again. If you don't know, I have a theory that three quarters of all black films will feature at least one nigga from The Wire. And this film has two niggas from The Wire. So give ourselves a pat on the back for continuing to prove me right. (laughs) So some fun facts about this movie. Chris Rock got the idea for the movie from the 1984 Walter Mondale and Geraldine Ferrero ticket. When the Democrats thought they had no chance of winning against Reagan and Bush, so they thought they might as well make a first, a quote-unquote first, and put a woman up for vice president. Now, this is some shit that they tend to do a lot and it never works in their favor. So we're going to get into that. Uh, Why would you ever put anyone out to a presidential election that you don't think they're going to win? It makes it makes no fucking sense because we got Reagan and Bush and the Reagan administration was fucking terrible. We lost lives. So I am a Democrat, but y'all fucked up. (laughs) Okay. So at least Chris Rock got the idea for this movie from that bullshit. Um, Tina Fey was one of the writers who helped punch up the script. And if you don't know, this is something that happens a lot, especially on comedy scripts. Um, I'm sure it also happens in some form or fashion in drama scripts too. But especially in the world of comedy... You know, when you have a script, when you have a pilot, um, when you have a feature film, oftentimes they'll bring in a few super funny and talented writers to help you make your jokes better, pitch different scenarios. Uh, Basically, it's a lot of pitching on how to make it better and funnier and uh, things like that. So it's a lot of fun to just be in a room with super funny people helping you to make your work better. Um, this is also something obviously that happens on television shows in general, um, when you're in a writer's room, lots of punching up. Um, and third fun fact is that Chris Rock did not know how to do the electric slide before filming this movie, which is insane to me because I just feel like we all grow up learning that as black folks at cookouts and shit. But I have to say, though, I have to say, before I officially knew the electric slide, um, I was myself hesitant to do the electric slide in front of people not knowing it. 
but I eventually learned how to do it, and now it's one of my favorite things to do. I mean, it's not like the Casper slide where he's telling you, you know, each step along the Take way. Take back now, y'all. One hop this time. Right foot, let's stop. Left foot, let's stop. Cha-cha, real smooth. No, the electric slide song, she says, I'm teach going you, to teach you, teach you. But she never gives you any instructions. That song is a bop, though. That song is a bop. Not knocking the song. Um, But I'm glad that Chris Rock learned the electric slide uh, during the filming of this movie, because there is an electric slide scene. So my first experience with this film is... um, I saw it in movie theaters, actually, with my family. I'm not sure whose idea it was to go see this. It was probably my dad's idea, because my dad is funny guy. He's into comedy. He likes Chris Rock a lot. Um, my mom likes to laugh, but I feel like she could do without a lot of comedies. So I definitely feel like that this was his idea, because the commercials did a really good job of like showing the right parts of this movie. Um, and making it look funny, which I think it is. I think it's actually funnier than the advertisements let on and smarter. Um, So I saw it in theaters at this movie theater called, um, I I think at the time it was called General Cinemas. Uh, It is now an AMC theater in um, West Orange, New Jersey. And that was the first theater I ever went to with quote-unquote stadium seating. It is now um, an AMC dine-in theater, which it's not my favorite. I much prefer the way that we do it at Nighthawk. I mean, not to be, you know, not to be biased. It is, you know, where I've worked. Um, But yeah, I miss the old days when it was just like a theater with stadium seating. And that's where I saw this movie. I remember it again being funnier than I had anticipated and uh, more had more heart than I thought it might. Um, so let's get into it. Okay, so like I was saying before, the way that the DNC runs can actually be such a disappointment at times. I mean, I feel like they're constantly making these assumptions about, you know, what the people want and what they need and pushing people forward, like certain people forward. And it's, I don't know. There's just, there's something about it that seems very tone deaf. It's, it seems like they're not actually listening to us and what we want. And that totally feeds right into this story, right? These three people on the Democratic National Convention, you know, they pick Mays thinking that he'll lose in order to set themselves up for the next election. First of all, that's illogical. But that's also something that I feel like actually happens in real politics. They're not focusing on the present, where we are right now. They're focusing on the past, whether that be some statistics or numbers or some, in some, in many ways, is meaningless because of the direction that they continue to go in. I mean, it's it's not working. And even if there was 
collusion in the last election, you have to say, and I, of course, voted for Hillary Clinton. Like, I'm not a dumbass. I, you know, was not going to vote for Trump. Was she my first choice? No. And why was she not my first choice? Because she was never clear about where she stood on race. And that shit bothered me. If someone on her team had just been like, look, girl, maybe you should address this in some form or fashion, like head on, so that people really know that they can trust you in that way, because there's a past. It's not an unfounded fear and belief, you know? So instead of listening to that and really um, integrating that into her campaign, into her speeches, it kind of just felt like the same shit. And like I said, I voted for her. But was I surprised when Homegirl lost? No. And of course, yes, the she won the popular vote. And, you know, Electoral College is bullshit. At the same time... We shouldn't have to vote for people that we feel unenthusiastic about. And of course, we, you know, some people felt that with Hillary. I felt that less with Hillary. You know, for the most part, she was fine. But we all feel on that with Joe Biden. Lord Jesus. Nobody is enthusiastic about this man. Are we all going to vote for him and Kamala? Yes. But this is a tipping point, y'all. I think this is going to be one of the last times where we are voting for someone that we are not so gung-ho about. I feel like we were all so gung-ho about Obama. Um, But man, this... This don't. This just does not feel. It does not feel right to me. Um, and this movie so perfectly plays into that idea. Maze's platform in this film and why it's so successful is because it is very much focused on the people. Him being one of the people, he knew exactly what everyone needed in a sense. And could really speak to that in quite an honest way. It's so cool to see Chris Rock do these speeches as Maze Gilliam because he gets to do stand-up. He gets to basically do these stand-up sets in the movie when he's giving these political speeches. If you work two jobs and at the end of the week you got just enough money to get your broke ass home, let me hear you say that ain't right. How many of you have children that they call stupid? Don't be ashamed. It ain't your fault. I asked my niece the other day, what's four plus four? She said 44. It is. But that ain't her fault. That's the school's fault. Now, if your child's school has old ass books and brand new metal detectors, let me hear you say, that ain't right. That ain't right. It ain't right. Such a blend of all of the gifts that Chris Rock has to offer. And it's very smart of him. You know, he gets to act. Um, He gets to have a co-writing credit on the film. He gets to direct the film. He's one of the film's producers. And in these speeches, he gets to do stand-up. 
It's so cool. You feel like you're watching a political, like, cleaner version of Chris Rock's stand-up sets when he gets to do these speeches, whether it be, like, on the campaign trail or in the debates. And that brings me to the debates in the movie. So there is one debate at the end of the movie. Um, It is Chris Rock against the Republican candidate who is up for president. And they really nail the Republican candidate. Uh, As much as they also nail the Democrat side, they nail the shit out of this Republican candidate. First of all, his uh, slogan is God bless America and no place else, which is definitely so much of the thought that goes into how Republicans run their platforms. Uh, They run on this extreme nationalism that I don't even know if they believe in as individuals, but they know that the people whose votes that they need believe in that shit. So that's why they preach on faith and family and all this shit that they don't fucking care about, but they're pandering. Republicans are fucking panderers. And that's what this dude does in this movie. When there's a debate between Mays and this guy, uh, you can see that he is just kind of offering up these very general statements that have no backing to them. Um, It's just kind of what he thinks people want to hear. And that is exactly how these Republicans speak. Um... They run on socially conservative platforms because they know that's what their audience wants and that is what they're going to buy into to get them votes. And it's like, do they really care about these people? I mean, these people in the middle of the country and the South, you know, who tend to be red states. What these Republican politicians at the end of the day are after is things that are very ego-based, very power-based. They want the power and they want money. They want to be able to keep their money and they want them and their friends to be able to keep their money. They are not trying to help you in any form or fashion. Like, I really want to talk to some of these people in these states and ask them, you know, in what ways has your life actually gotten better since Donald Trump was elected as president? Besides being able to live and fulfill your racist fucking dreams out loud, out here, you know, loud and proud, do you have good access to healthcare? Are you getting paid more money at your job? Are you getting the benefits that you need? Is your family actually taken care of? Are you making enough money, period? Like, how has this man improved your quality of life? And that racist shit that y'all do ain't got shit to do with quality of life. I'm talking about shit that everyone could have as human beings, like the base level shit. How has he improved your life? Um... And I will be waiting to hear that because these debates in the movie, you know, the Republican candidate being so general and offering very general things, almost like a class president in a high school. 
up against Maze, who is doing an excellent job speaking to the people, really reminded me of something that had just happened in the RNC versus the DNC. Um, Those televised fangs that went on, um, which to me always tend to seem way more like um, fucking entertainment than politics. It's really crazy. Um, The interesting debate, in a way, that happened um, from my point of view between the RNC and the DNC televised events, it was a Daniel versus a Daniel. So we had Daniel Cameron, who is the attorney general of Kentucky, Yes, that one. This brother who still has not sent out arrests for the cops that killed Breonna Taylor. And he had the fucking nerve to mention her family in his speech supporting Donald Trump and have not arrested these motherfuckers yet. Fucking asshole. But President Trump did. On the economy, Joe Biden couldn't do it. But President Trump did build an economy that worked for everyone, especially minorities, and he will do it again. And Daniel Dale, who works for CNN, who was fact-checking Donald Trump's speech. Anderson, this president is a serial liar, and he serially lied tonight. I counted preliminarily more than 20 false or misleading claims. I want to go through a whole bunch of them quickly because I think it's all important. Trump said Joe Biden is, quote, talking about taking down the border wall. Biden has specifically, explicitly rejected that idea. He just said he'll stop further additional construction. Trump claimed, as always, that he is the one who passed the Veterans Choice Law. Barack Obama signed that into law in 2014. Trump signed a 2018 law to modify it. Trump said, I have done more for the African-American community than any president since Abraham Lincoln. That is ludicrous. Lyndon Johnson, for one, signed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Trump again touted a, quote, record 9 million job gain over the past three months. This dude had over 20 lies in that one speech. So if this dude is lying to you on that kind of shit, he's lying to you, period. He don't give a fuck about you. So stop voting for him. Just stop. And it's all so ego-driven and so socially conservative based when that's not even, it shouldn't have anything to do with politics at all, to be perfectly honest. It's so, it's just so frustrating. It's so frustrating. I mean, there's different kinds of conservative people, you know, social, political, and physical, uh, financial. And um, all these wires getting crossed is really fucking over everybody. And... The fact that they can't see it is really scary. And this film speaks to that in a really great way. And it would be so nice to have a candidate, you know, spinning it back around to the Democrats that we are excited about, as exciting as Mays is in this movie, and as exciting as President Obama was. Fucking both times, man. Uh, I remember the first time uh, that Obama was elected as president. 
In 2008, I was not quite 18. I think I was going to be 18 a couple days after the election, so I didn't get to vote, which was sad. But I do remember being in my dorm room when he won. Uh, The excitement, the elation, the noise. It was just a beautiful moment. It was very much a what a time to be alive moment. It was so great. It was so amazing. And to just see and hear that raw excitement for a black president at a white ass school like UConn. Oh man, that was that was really beautiful. That is a moment that I will truly never forget. And it's worth noting that this film, Head of State, you know, came out five years before Obama was elected. And when I saw this movie in 2003, I thought it would be way longer than five years until we got a black president. And there's this interesting thing that they do in Head of State. Um, It cuts sometimes to uh, May's, Chris Rock's character, thinking about his, what he feels to be an inevitable uh, assassination. So every once in a while, they'll cut to him standing at a podium, waving at people, the American flag behind him, and him getting shot. And that's definitely a very real fear that we had for Obama in general as president. I mean, the whole time, we were very fearful of that. And um, the second time that he got elected, it was during Hurricane Sandy. And I was, I had graduated college. So I was staying at my parents' place. And... We had no electricity because Hurricane Sandy said, fuck all y'all in the Tri-State area for a good couple weeks. Um, It was terrible. It was so terrible. Um, So we went to go watch the election results at my godmother's house who happened to have power. And my godmother and my father are both, were both journalists, um, both still writers. What my godmother did, which was so smart and so fun, was that we were watching the election results and flipping back and forth between CNN and Fox News because we wanted to see how the different stations were reporting the results and what kind of fuckery that Fox News would be up to. And that brings me to the press section of our adventure in politicians and the press. This film does a fucking amazing job at satirizing the press and the media and the power that they have to sway our opinions. The media has so much power to not only change our thoughts, but change the way that we think about events themselves. The way that things are framed in the media and the press is so important. And we have gotten so far away from the truth and it's really sad. So when we were flipping back and forth between CNN and Fox News, what we would see on Fox News was that it seemed like a Christopher Guest movie. I want to dance because... Say, get uh, up, get up, Jerry. I no, saying, no. You know, I can't dance. I can't... Ch- I've got two left feet. i got two left feet. <laughs> I thought he was kidding. But I wasn't. Um, I, I was born 
uh, with two uh, left feet. It seemed like a parody of itself. It kind of seemed the way that's represented in Head of State. They're almost kind of seen like very silly buffoons almost kind of chasing a story anywhere it will go and any shape that it will take good and it's important to see and it's always an important reminder to think critically about when we see headlines and clickbaity things and when we and when we read pretty much any piece of news or when we see news televised or see it online um they sway opinions in this movie so quickly and and most of the time, it's against Mays. Uh, there's a scene where both candidates are making their way to a school to address a school shooting. And Mays says something very honest, but kind of like off color, off camera. And of course, it's caught and made into a big deal. And, you know, the Republican candidate uses that to his advantage. There's a scene when uh, they're all at a bar and people are loving Maze, And then there's a commercial that comes on from the other candidate that makes up some sort of story about Maze being okay with people getting cancer. And it's so bizarre and crazy and obviously very silly in this movie. But I mean, that's how quickly it can happen. I mean, all it takes is a drop of a dime and then that's it, you know? I mean, the very creation of something like Fox News was so government-based. Like, Fox News is almost state TV. It's almost like TV that's run by the government. And I feel like that should be illegal, Um, and something else that's so funny in this movie in terms of kind of satirizing that aspect of life is that when the Republican candidate finds out that the president and the vice president have, uh, their planes have crashed into each other and that they've died, he finds this out from this dude who's his assistant and his assistant's like, really, you haven't heard about this? It's been all over the news. And the Republican candidate says, not my news. And that is so accurate. Like people really nowadays really pick their lane. They choose their lane and they just stick to it. They're like, this is where I get my news. And that's kind of it. There is no objective view. And that's kind of where we have to hold news, journalism, and media the standard up to today, right? Like, there needs to be way more integrity. And I think COVID and the protests are really throwing a spotlight on that. I mean, the media is like, they are determining our attention spans. And we should be determining our own fucking attention spans, right? I mean, it's a bit ridiculous that they are basically saying to us that, oh, you know, first two weeks of the protests and then like, oh, you obviously don't care about that anymore. So we're going to stop covering it. It's like, no, not at all. Um, We still want to know what's happening pretty much everywhere in the progress of everything. Um, And the idea of fake news, the fact that it really is such a big and prevalent thing now, especially with some organizations being very conservative and being basically run by the government. I mean, the New York Post is run by, you know, conservative people. So the way that they frame things is often very problematic. 
And they need to be held to the standard that they used to be held in. You know, I just said, I have journalists in my family, and that was one of the things that was the focus of journalism back in the day. Having fucking integrity and having an objective approach to journalism. You should be speaking facts. My godmother was an editorial writer, and even still, what she reported and what she said and what she wrote was facts. It was fact-based. So... We need to hold these people way more accountable. It's really, really crazy. And speaking of Bernie Mac, I love his scenes with the press. They are so fucking funny. So Bernie Mac plays Maze Gilliam's brother. And no one wants to run as Maze's running mate. So um, they, so the team kind of, you know, tells him that, you know, just pick someone that you trust and so Maze picks his brother, played by Bernie Mac. So, so, so good. His first scene with the press, he's getting off of the train. And, um, you know, all these press people are hounding him, wanting to ask him questions about being the running mate. And he just punches every single one of them in the face. And it's incredible. And it's a thing that I think more people wish that they could do, probably. Political analysts say this may be too little, too late. Hi, I'm with the Port Commission. Yeah. I'm from the Athletes Club Foundation. Brother. Hey, can you get my demo tape to somebody? Um, and the scenes where he's with the press one-on-one um, on different news shows and stuff, he speaks like himself. He speaks like a person and a human being that is of the people. And again, it's quite effective and I think continues to help Maze's platform grow and the people that love him kind of grow. And um, it really makes me think of the only politician that I'm really fucking with right now on on a major scale is Alexandria... Ocasio-Cortez. This woman is always speaking the absolute truth with such eloquence and such realness. I mean, she is one of the people through and through. So, So when she speaks, you know what she's talking about and you know that she's looking out for our best interest. And it's really crazy that a group of people that should be working for us, we don't feel that way from them. Y'all, if COVID has taught you anything, it should be that, oh yeah, reminder, all of these motherfuckers work for us. They work for we, the motherfucking people. So we, I hope, are more engaged from now on about what these people do who these people are, what their platforms are, how they sound when they fucking speak, what they speak about, and who they care about. They work for us, y'all. We literally employ these people. So let's really... I want more people like her. I want more people like AOC running some real shit. You know, Maze Gilliam reminded me so much of her just in... Being one of the people, speaking from the heart, and telling the truth. I think that's really not too much to ask from politicians. And I really hope that I continue to see her go super far. And I want to see more people like her. 
running shit. So in conclusion, this film is super, super underrated. It is a smart comedy that does an earnest job at satirizing a version of the American dream and what that means for black people in America. Uh, There's a great sense of visual comedy and world building from the beginning. They play 03 Bonnie and Clyde so many fucking times in this song, and it's so funny. Even the press on the radio, it just has a satirical edge to it. It perfectly satirizes and pokes fun at white people. There are these scenes with old white people at this party when Mays is getting introduced to the political atmosphere. Um... And they're just old white people trying to belong and be in a black space and uh, to make this black man feel comfortable. And it's so, so funny. And I love when movies poke fun at white people. Um, So good. This movie is available to rent on Amazon and iTunes. All my life I had to Yes, yes, y'all. It's time for the You Better Act Award. And if it's your first time here at Avengers in Black Cinema, the You Better Act Award is an award that we give away every week on the show. And we give this award to a performance, a Black performance, that we think is just so dope that we must shout it from the rooftops. So we do. This week's You Better Act Award goes to... Drumroll, please. Courtney B. Vance in The People vs. O.J. Simpson. This is, of course, a well-regarded performance. Um, He did win several awards for playing Johnny Cochran in this um, dramatization of the trial of The People vs. O.J. Simpson in the early 90s. Um, And Courtney B. Vance is one of our best actors. Like, duh. This is an excellent, excellent portrayal of a complicated figure in the Black community, you know, because what he was fighting for at the end of the day was a good fight in terms of, you know, police brutality and just uh, violence against Black people in Los Angeles and all over the country at the time um, and still today. Um, But using the O.J. Simpson trial to fight for that was just really not the move. Um, It did a really great job, the limited series, of um, showing where he was coming from in that way, really digging into his past and his very specific um, past with the police. And... uh, Also, there was a perfect bit near the end of the last episode of the limited series where you do see a bit of his regret. It's a scene with Sterling K. Brown, who also excellently plays Chris Darden. Um, You see a bit of his regret at what he's done near that last episode, near the end of that last episode. And it's just a really great testament to the writing to show that and also to Courtney B. Vance, a.k.a. Angela Bassett's husband's great performance. It also calls into question, like, how to achieve big picture goals, like the big picture goal that Johnny Cochran had um, without selling your soul. Because I think at the end of the day, that's kind of what he did. He saved this black man who 
does not really believe that he is, at the end of the day, a black man. So how does one do that? Um, It does call that into question in a really interesting way that kind of leaves it uh, with less judgment than I would perhaps want to put on him. Um, The People vs. O.J. Simpson, which is one of the seasons of American Crime Story, is now available to stream on Netflix. So, in closing for today, some food for thought. What do you want to see from your current politicians? Be ruthless. Be brutal. What do you want? Ask for it. Comment on SFB Society. Comment on our Instagram, at Adventures in Black Cinema. Thank you, thank you so much to our team. My audio engineer, Matt Mozzarella, producer Angie, our executive producer, Miss Amanda Seals. Next week on the show, we're going to get into the nitty gritty of the film Love Jones, which is currently streaming on HBO Max. Have a good day, y'all. Stay black, stay blessed. You ain't got to like Biden. You just ain't got to like Donald Trump. You ain't gotta like Kamala Let me tell you where I'm coming from You gotta like a Supreme Court that's balanced mm-hmm. You gotta like leaders that believe in science mm-hmm. You gotta like folks that have bipartisanship And not full of shit And believe facts And that they're real That's all you gotta do No, you ain't gotta you just ain't gotta like Donald Trump. You ain't gotta like Kamala. You just gotta vote for us. Vote for us. Be okay at the end of the day. That's it.